the first apex Trevor Lawrence down to J.C. Horn Even though he was high on Slater A legend was about to be born The road wasn't always easy David Gettleman traded down But couldn't stop this underdog fantasy From becoming reality now He's at in disbelief As the Heisman became an eagle When the cards took another LB He didn't know how to feel That this would be the best day of his life Oh yeah Well now we're into the 20s The Prosecco has started to pour Quitty pay on his way to Andy He can't feel pain anymore Cause he went to his laptop Toward the end of another long first round He stopped to catch his breath On the cusp of history now This was the best day of his life Oh yeah It was the summer of on Green Bay Word is Rogers wants out of town With the franchise future in jeopardy Can't believe they took a corner Wow Of course he called that pick Eric really stoked his ego When the Costa took away The underdog became a hero Commenced on the best night of his life Oh yeah, it was the summer of 59, oh, it was the summer of 59, oh yeah, oh 59. Oh yes, hello my friends and welcome to this, another episode of the underdog football show. My name is Josh Norris. His name is Hayden Winks. And that was a very special musical number by Justin Pollard. I mean, Hayden, when you get songs like that in your inbox, you have to play them at the top of the show. You got to. I mean, the, the lyrics were perfect. The, the, the Eric Stokes pick was that was money. And I'm glad he, he, he mentioned that in there, too. I mean, there were so many money lines. I'll post it on Twitter so all of you can Listen to it. Maybe we'll end the show with it from now on. Who knows how long I want to milk this thing. Hayden, how am I doing with milking it? Like, is this the end of the road? I think the USA Today article was the perfect bookend. If you guys haven't seen that, Josh got a little write-up, and they were talking about the Prosecco and one of the, the best nights of his life. I mean, yeah, it was that was the, the nice bookend you needed. My girlfriend reached out and said, don't you think it's kind of a bad thing that it shows that you're the leak? In terms of the information from the Rams draft room, I was like, well, they forgot the most important part that the leak got me an eight-year job at NBC Sports. <laughs> it just sounds like worth I'm just <laughs> spreading information. So I think that was worth it in the end. Everyone out there, hopefully you had a tremendous draft week, draft weekend, 
Hopefully you checked out Underdogapalooza on Monday. Uh, we thank you for tuning in all day long, 12 hours of shows. We talked to so many wonderful people, broke some news with Adam Schefter, uh, fellow insider. Always great to have one like that on the show. Uh, Matthew Barry was on, uh, Brett Coleman, Ian Harditz. We had Evan Silva, Adam Levitan did a draft with them. Uh, and obviously the guys ended it with NBA Top Shot plus Adam Lefko and Tyler I Am as well. Trail was on. It was great. The full replay is up on the YouTube channel, which we're also streaming live on right now. So go and check that out. Hayden, I also know that you have some early best ball rankings. I know you're about to finish some projections as well. Uh, it is that hot, hot best ball summer, the summer of underdog. The goal here is to win one of you $1 million this summer on Best Ball Mania 2. What's the content schedule like coming up? Yeah, so right now I'm grinding through the player projections and I want to get those up live onto the Underdog app as well. But I'm also going to turn that into content. So if you guys aren't um, subscribing to Underblog yet, go over there and do that. I think Josh and I are going to go through these player projections. There's a there's a lot of things we have to get right. How many games is Trey Lance starting? How much snaps is Trey Sermon getting over Raheem Mostert? These are the things that we're going to be bickering about for the next couple of months. But yeah, player projections will come up. And then after that, probably some rankings and some other fun stuff. Yeah, look, draft season was a bit of a sprint, a bit of a cram session, especially starting an entire content wing of a company. Uh, so now I'm really glad that Hayden and I get to sit back, decipher the most actionable information out there, either for your entertainment or for your wallets. And once again, the goal of the summer, Hayden and I cannot participate in Best Ball Mania 2. The goal is for one of you to win it. So right now, go and play in Best Ball Mania 2, just 25 bucks to go in and enter. $3.5 million in prizes, $1 million to first place, two fifty to second, one seventy five to third. Get in there, and we're going to have some content to help you win along the way. All right. We did the NFC team-by-team team draft class review, focusing on just the individual draft classes, but also what it tells us about the team's vision and most likely where that team is going. We're going to do the same thing with the AFC today. We go in alphabetical order. Hayden Winks, we start with the Baltimore Ravens, a team that had two first-round picks, starting off with Rashad Bateman at number 27. When I went back, Hayden, and listened to the press conference, they seemed thrilled that Rashad Bateman in 2019 was an outside receiver and 2020 was an inside receiver because that means he can play in both alignments. Yeah, very versatile player. I also thought he was one of the most consistent players, and especially in that 2019 film, and where he's going to win, he's going to play some sl slot reps, or slot reps, just because that's where the Ravens throw the ball. They throw the ball down the middle of the field more than anybody. I don't know if that's because Lamar Jackson doesn't like throwing down the field or uh, down to the boundary, or if that's just where they've had the most talent. But I think Rashad Bateman's the best receiver on their team immediately. I think he's light years ahead of Marquise Brown, especially on it's like third and five. You need six, seven yards here. Rashad Bateman is going to be that guy. Um, I moved down Marquise Brown decent bit. I can see Bateman leading this team in targets year one. I think he's that good of a player and he is the perfect fit. They needed some, a physical guy. They need a reliable receiver. Marquise Brown and Sammy Watkins, they're explosive. They are not reliable. Rashad Bateman is that safety net for Lamar Jackson. Look at points last year and even the year prior, Lamar Jackson was, you know, throwing to Marquise Brown, whatever he was going to do before the end of the season. Uh, Willie Sneed, Dev, Devin Duvernay, like a bunch of names that were middling talents at best after those. And then now, like you mentioned, at least on paper, it's Marquise Brown. It's Mark Andrews. Absolutely. Over the middle field. I think you and I might be back in on Mark Andrews once again. 
uh, Rashad Bateman and Sammy Watkins for however long you get him. And and that's a decent dynamic. I, I, I keep wondering, and Hayden, we know what the strength of the Ravens is. It's the how dynamite Lamar Jackson is. It's obviously runs at the backfield, that complimentary piece with J.K. Dobbins and, and Gus Edwards. But it's throws are the middle. But I, I was interested to hear Har- Harbaugh and, and DaCosta say that, like, we want everyone to cover every single blade of grass. I'm not sure if, like, Lamar Jackson plus Greg Roman can really do that. It might be wishful thinking to start saying, oh, we're going to throw more outside the numbers this season. Yeah, Greg Roman has not showed the ability to figure this part of the part of the game out. Um, Rashad Bateman will certainly help. And I think that Marquise Brown is going to even run more deep, deep reps. He's going to be more inconsistent just because he's going to be, I mean, he's going to be asking to run nine routes like the entire game because Rashad Bateman and Mark Andrews are the two guys underneath. And same thing with Sammy Watkins. Um, the big thing here, though, is that's catching my eye is the, the Ravens offensive line is not nearly as, a, as, as good as it was in previous seasons. Obviously, they lose Orlando Brown. They lose their center. Their left tackle is coming off of a massive leg injury. Um, he's going to be kind of TBD for training camp. They added Kevin Zeitler. You love that. They added Ben Cleveland in the third round, who's a high upside player because he's such a good athlete and he really loves to run block. But this this offensive line is new, and it is. We always talk about continuity, and I think that it's this was a talent downgrade as well. So you really need Rashad Bateman and the offensive coordinator to figure things out because. The offensive line is not going to be as good as it was in previous seasons. Yeah, they obviously added Alejandro Villanueva after the draft as well, and he can fill in at left tackle. If Ronnie Stanley is not available, then switch over to right tackle. It, it, it's one to watch. It's definitely one to watch. I'm in, though, and you mentioned like the ADPs of where Marquise Brown is going and how much you've dropped him in your rankings, which you can all find on Underblog. Uh, Jerry Judy, LaVisca Chenault are the two picks right, and Devontae Smith are the three picks right before Marquise Brown. And then right after him, Michael Gallup, Jarvis Landry, Brandon Cooks. Like where that is for Marquise at the moment, I'm I'm absolutely out on that. And meanwhile, Rashad Bateman is going around Marvin Jones, Cole Beasley, just ahead of Mikel Hardman and Gabriel Davis. I understand the passing volume might not be there in comparison to Kansas City, but really like that that placement for Rashad Bateman at the moment. The rest of their picks, Odafe Owe was their number 31 overall selection, also won me the greatest mock draft. And NFL history. Ben Cleveland, you mentioned Brandon Stevens, the cornerback. And then we get to Tylen Wallace, early fourth round. And while we'll mainly focus on day one and day two prospects in this conversation, Hayden, we do want to bring up maybe some fourth round names or fifth round names, not round six, not round seven. That's kind of, you know, those are just prior to free agent, especially this year. But Tylen Wallace is, is a name that we talked with Matt Waldman about in our pre-draft podcast. And what DaCosta said was he was too good of a player for us not to take him. We saw him at the Senior Bowl. He was a one-side-of-the-field player. He has an injury history. But in a wide receiver group, that might not get about much of opportunity, but there are some openings if you play well. Tyler Wallace has an opportunity. Yeah, he's a vertical guy right now, and the problem is it's his knee injury, and he did not look as explosive last season as he did in the two previous seasons when he was an absolute baller. And then his 40 time wasn't that good for a smaller receiver too. So right now I think he's going to be Marquise Brown's like direct backup just because I think Sammy Watkins is going to start, Rashad Bateman is going to start, and then it's him and Devin DuVernay to kind of round out the depth chart. He's not going to get many targets in this offense at all, especially as a rookie. Um, this was a bad landing spot for him for dynasty purposes too. This quote from Harbaugh and DaCosta really stood out to me that good players are typically versatile football players, and I think in their first two selections that stands out with Bateman and Owe. Owe might have like, and this is going to be, I just realized, way too young for you, Hayden, but it might be Adelius Thomas. Okay. No. 
We'll move on. <laughs> we'll move on. That's insane. Okay. Let's now go to the Buffalo Bills. We know they started off their draft at pick number 30 uh, and took Gregory Russo and then circled right back there at pick 29 in the second round and selected Carlos Basham. We always talk about styles and and types and maybe trends with certain decision makers or groups that have been making these roster decisions for a while, Hayden. And I would say maybe more than any other team, the Bills want to keep a strength strong. You know, they've done that with the offensive line over the last few years because when you lose a name, someone can come right in. And so with Jerry Hughes and with Mario Addison, both entering expiring contract seasons, now you add Gregory Russo and Carlos Basham, who maybe both can be outside to inside players as well. Yeah, they're trying to stop the Chiefs. Like, that's their whole purpose. They have the offense figured out right now. They needed edge rushers. I think that they needed corners as well, but they didn't really address that at all. Um, but yeah, they go five deep at edge with Hughes, Addison, Epinesa, Boogie Basham, Gregory Rousseau. And then even on the interior, Ed Oliver, Star Lutulele, and Vernon Butler. That is, I mean, that's a deep defensive line. And that, that was a, uh, a weakness last year. They were 24th in rushing EPA defense only 14th in adjusted sack rate. Um, so they got better up front. Their cornerback depth chart is really weak behind Tredavious White. Um, but obviously they have the offense figured out already. So they're going to be competing for AFC championships. You looked at the roster just on paper and cornerback was an obvious need. I've, Trey White is fantastic, but opposite him, it's Levi Wallace. It's Dane Jackson. It's a bunch of, you know, they had Josh Norman playing there. I kind of wonder if maybe they can, try to make an offer for Richard Sherman before he decides somewhere else. Like that would make just an absolute ton of sense. But it, it's one of those needs, Hayden, that clearly Sean McDermott, Leslie Frazier, and whoever else on this defensive staff just views defensive line, views pass rush, and views speed at linebacker more important than their secondary cornerback play. Yeah, that's it's really strange. There's not that many teams that, that do that. Um, they're definitely on team – edge rusher over over cornerback right now which i think you can, i think it can go either way um but yeah they, they're just deep at a lot of these positions except corner i mean they have to sign somebody maybe maybe it's richard sherman i'm not sure how, how good of a scheme fit that is but I, I would be surprised if they went into the season with this exact cornerback depth chart yeah even in that same division you're gonna have two teams that are pass rush over defensive or i should say over cornerback play because i'd say the bills have invested a lot in safety in the Bills and the Jets with Robert Salah. And then Miami has invested so many picks at corner and money in corner. And then obviously the Patriots were one of the first to really signal, hey, we're going to care more about coverage than we are pass rush because we think we can manufacture some pass rush up front with different looks. So very intriguing dynamic to look at moving forward there. The rest of their picks, I mean, Spencer Brown, we just talked about making a strength and continuing it to be a strength. He's a super athletic uber athletic offensive tackle coming out of an fcs program and most likely can play left or the right side and be your swing tackle early on took another tackle there in the fifth round and then you have you said the rest of their picks mark including marquez stevenson at wide receiver i'd say the storyline i'm most interested in hayden is is who's going to be that number three wide receiver for the predominant portion of the snaps on offense we know that Brian Dayball last season played way more for wide receiver snaps than he did the previous year. But one of the two players among Gabriel Davis and Emmanuel Sanders is going to hit this year, and I want to be on the right side of that. Yeah, this is something that we're going to have to talk through with player projection. So maybe we'll talk through this on, on a column or, or, in a, or another stream because you're right. It, it's something to get right, and I, I, I haven't figured it out yet. 
And there's also the running back conundrum. I mean, we, we did a ton of drafts during underdog Palooza. And if you're going to invest in one running back group in one backfield, that's the cheapest in the NFL right now. It's Zach Moss and Devin Singletary. I just not sure you want either one. I'm out. I don't want either of them. They don't okay. want to run the ball. And I don't think that either of them are very good. Yeah. Why change what you did last year? Just hope like, you know, those four or five or six plays go in your favor this year. And you have the same injury luck in comparison to last year. All right. Over the Cincinnati Bengals, obviously you start off with number five overall, Jamar Chase. Thank you, Joe Goodberry, for being so strong in your conviction early on. Hayden, this reminds me a lot of the Dallas Cowboys from last season, where you add CeeDee Lamb to Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup with a quarterback you you believe in, and you say, hey, you can't focus on just one or two names. Now you have to try to be aware of all three pass catchers out there, and that's absolutely one of the best wide receiver cheers in the NFL right now. Yeah, you take all those A.J. Green targets and you just throw them right to Jamar Chase, and what you have is you have three three players that are going to be kind of in that wide receiver 3-4 mix. That's kind of where they fell in my player projections. Um, the biggest takeaway from, from this draft for the Bengals is basically they had they had a decision. It was Jamar Chase plus Jackson Carmen, who was a risky second-round pick, or you could have gone Penny Sewell with a Dwayne Eskridge, Tutu Atwell, Terrace Marshall, Diami Brown as the outside receivers. I don't know which one of those is better. This, there's a lot of pressure on Jamar Chase to get this right, um, but I, I will say that T. Higgins is a slight loser here. Tyler Boyd's a slight loser here. The other thing we have to talk about is the Joe Mo- Joe Mixon quote. I know you were grinding the press conferences. Did you see this Joe yep. Mixon quote? I did. Let me pull it up. It's basically we're just going to feed the crap out of Joe Mixon. We don't want to take him off the field. Yeah. I sounds mean. like a good plan to me. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely sounds like a good plan to me because I don't think like Geo has finished with the season less than 40 or 50 targets in his NFL career. And then now the number two back unless – is Travion Williams still on that roster? Unless it's going to yeah. be him or it's Samaj P. Ryan. Like neither of those guys are pass catchers. So or, like or Chris Evans, they took him in the sixth round. That's a total wild card. Right. So if we can look in right now and think that Joe Mixon's going to get 75%, 80% of the touch share out of that backfield, oh, we're in. I, I guess also my main question is: can this offensive line potentially be a fatal flaw of the entire offense? You know, like they they go out and they prioritize Riley Reeve because he has so much tackle experience and has been a solid tackle to play at that right tackle spot. And I think that probably led them to Jackson Carmen in the second round because as a local Cincinnati guy, maybe he can fill in on the interior of that offensive line too. But that's the where the weaknesses like that guard center guard combination right now, uh, especially with how, you know, Joe Burrow ended his season last year. It's one to watch. It's one to watch as it potentially could cripple and be the weakness of this team. Yeah, and that's what made they they traded out of the 38th overall pick. And the the they had Tevin Jenkins and Liam Eichenberg both available. And then they traded out of that position. I don't know why they did that. I would have just taken Tevin Jenkins and he's either going to play right guard for you this year and then go kick out to right tackle after Riley Reef's contracts up or go get Liam Eichenberg. Those are like two pretty steady guys. But instead they take this flyer on Jackson Carmen and I didn't watch Jackson Carmen, but I watched enough of the guys and I've read enough about him that he's a total, total risky player, especially compared to Liam Eikenberg and Tevin Jacob. Those are like power five starters for a long time that are plus athletes too. So that was a, that was a pretty bold move that I would have done for the, for the Bengals. The Bengals have done a great job through the years of finding pass rushers on day two and day three. They hope that's the same thing with Joseph Asai and Wyatt Hubbard after, you know, signing 
Trey Hendrickson to basically a year-to-year contract, despite how big the cap number looks like, and then obviously having to let Carl Lawson go. Um, that that's been one of like the best parts of the the Bengals drafts over the years are picking up these pass rushers that fall, and then yeah, round four Tyler Shelvin, who also he's like a run-stuffing defensive tackle, and then. Deontay Smith, and then they took a place kicker in the fifth round. We all love a kicker in the fifth round. We all love that. Um, All right. Now over to the Cleveland Browns, a team last season that really found its groove under Kevin Stefanski in year one. They had all the pieces there that fit what they wanted to do. Took Jedrick Wills in first round last year. Was an instant starter, switching over from right tackle to left tackle. And, you know, despite Odell Beckham being out for the entire season, and then Jarvis Landry being the wide receiver one. Hayden, this team, this offense knew their identity, and they were able to hit on it for multiple, multiple weeks. And they didn't lose anybody this offseason. All five uh, offensive linemen are are back. They ranked first in pass blocking and run blocking on PFF. They didn't lose any of their receivers. They have a, a very highly paid tight end. Baker Mayfield still relatively cheap. So they just had to address the the, the secondary, and they did that. Greg Newsom is a baller. I thought he was um, a good value at 26 overall. And then JOK, because of a heart issue, and we don't know the extent of that, um, but the Browns were clearly okay with it. He is a perfect fit for the Browns. Uh, Their defensive coordinator, Joe Woods, um, before the draft said that they would like to transition into a dime system, but is going to be something that is going to take some time just to create better matchups and be a little bit more diverse in our scheme where we are putting an extra safety on the field. That is JOK's scouting report right there. Extremely athletic, probably too small to be a linebacker, but he's going to be covering the slot. He's going to be covering the tight ends. They have, I mean, th- their secondary is pretty pretty loaded right now. And if, if they can get a season out of Jadavian Clowney, watch out. I think that the Browns were probably the team that increased their Super Bowl odds this year the most, like or it. at least one of them. The, the defense is going to be better, and their offense was awesome last year. Keeping that front five of the offensive line will be vital. Uh, a lot of it is injury luck. And speaking of injury, like Greg Newsom um, missed some time at Cleveland, but you, uh, excuse me, in Northwestern, but you mentioned it. They viewed him as a target player. He was a multi year producer in the top five op- conference. I always, you know, when we have a new general manager and in, in Andrew Barry, I always like tune in to hear what words and phrases he used, Hayden, because it, it really delivers his process. And you can tell production is a major part of it and production from a big school and playing very early on because he kept citing like three or four times that Greg Newsom is one of the youngest players in the draft. And then they use this trio of words that they're going to use throughout this entire offseason and probably years to come. Smart, tough and accountable. And he said that those three words fit Greg Newsom. And a little birdie told me this before the draft rolled around, Hayden, that it had been a signal for all these teams to have three cornerbacks because your third cornerback is now a starter. All these teams now want four cornerbacks, four that they are comfortable with because they know one's going to go down. And a journeyman corner is someone that the opposing offense can just target and go after snap after snap after snap. So while the Browns in recent years have invested so much at defensive back and cornerback, adding Greg Newsom, it's because they've seen what injuries can do to your secondary. And so having four, hopefully that say healthy is great. And then the same thing is, is for pass rushers too. And they've done that as well. I mean, you add Jadavion Clowney, to a group that had Miles Garrett, to a group that you already signed, Tack McKinley, and then maybe you can get something out of a Porter Gustin or a Joe Jackson or one of these rookie free agents or rookies that they have as well. Four pass rushers and four cornerbacks is a way we're going to see team building move more and more in the future. 
Yep, and the reason they, they had to do this with the corner is because Greedy Williams, it, he missed last year because of a nerve issue. And like that, that kind of scares me. So I don't know if they have um, more intel on Grady Williams' status, but when you're talking about nerve injuries, that's that's where you get you can get some serious damage done to that. So um, that's something to keep an eye on. Hopefully Greedy Williams comes back because he has a, a lot of upside himself. So I also think they might have had intel on JOK, who apparently had a late heart issue pop up. Uh, Cleveland Clinic is right around the corner. Wonder if they made a phone call and and got a little intel on that. And then Anthony Schwartz was a interesting selection here in in round three, pick twenty eight. Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski said that without Odell last year, they were missing a field stretcher. Anthony Schwartz's ability to stretch the field was vital to them, and it's exactly what it sounded like when Jacksonville took DJ Chark a few years ago. That this is a run oriented team plus play action. And in order to open up some space, you need someone to run fast in a straight line. I am absolutely not saying that Schwartz is going to have a development in year two or year three like DJ Chark did. But you can tell like this is more of a role player than someone they can actually see like develop necessarily at wide receiver. And a role player at the end of round three might question or be questioned by some. But Hayden, we just talked about some names that were drafted in year two in this wide receiver group. So once you got to round three, it was slim pickings. Definitely. Anthony Schwartz, I think this is a long-term project. He has a, he has a ways to go. His tape, I didn't think was very good. He just, he's an, he's like a near Olympic athlete. I mean, he's like yeah. rare speed, like I'll, I'll get him in a race against Tyreek Hill fast. Um, so he's going to probably play five, five snaps per game um, this year and kind of rotate with Donovan Peoples Jones on the outside and three receiver sets with Richard Higgins and Odell. Um, but may, maybe they can get something out of him. He's a crazy, crazy, crazy good athlete. All right. They also went with James Hudson, who was a tackle from Cincinnati round four. Tommy Togiai, defensive tackle in round four. Uh, and then Demetric Felton with their last selection, who tested like maybe one of the worst athletes we've ever seen. But I, I also have seen a glimpse into the Browns' process right now where Felton and I think it was LeCount as well, the, the safety in round five, both tested awful. But I think this indicates that the Browns might be leaning towards GPS tracking than they are counting numbers because they're all going to have these GPS tracking speeds with these college players on the field. And while both for a variety of reasons tested poorly at their pro day, they might've looked at their play speed and been like, okay, we believe that more than we do the pro day. So for a team that we believe is more analytically driven than, than anyone else uh, watch for GPS tracking like this in the future too. Yeah, if you're listening to this and you have the GPS tracking, hit my DMs. I want it. <laughs> All right, let's go to the Denver Broncos. Patrick Sertan at number nine overall. Simply put, Hayden, he was the Broncos' number one defensive player in the draft. He was, and that's not a surprise to me. He's a baller. He's super athletic. He's super experienced, and he's going to be probably a starter in year one. And this is a deep cornerback depth chart, but it was only deep for one year, so I understood the pick except that Justin Fields is still on the board. So, I mean, I don't know if they were hoping that, hey, we'll draft Patrick Sertan, and maybe that's how we can trade for uh, Aaron Rodgers later because they needed cor a corner. But then the Packers drafted a corner themselves, so they were kind of out of luck there. I'm guessing what, what happened is the 24 hours before the draft, they went all in on trying to trade for Aaron Rodgers, whatever picks it takes, and then the Packers just told them no, so then they kind of pivoted, and they didn't want Justin Fields um, so it's just going to be a Drew Locke versus Teddy Bridgewater competition, and which is very sad. I'm going to guess Teddy Bridgewater wins that competition. 
Yeah. And he's going to, I haven't projected for more games than Drew Locke. That's a discussion for another day. But yeah, Patrick Sertain is an absolute baller. So I get the pick, but in a vacuum, like not with, not with Justin Fields on the board. I, I don't, I don't know how you can justify that. Look, Teddy supported Robbie Anderson as a top 24 wide receiver last year. DG Moore is like what a top 15, top 17 wide receiver last year. Got Mike Davis over a thousand scrimmage yards. Got Curtis Samuel over a thousand scrimmage yards. But you're also your ceiling is like completely capped with Teddy Bridgewater, your quarterback. And that was with Joe Brady. And this is with Pat Shermer. You know what I'm saying, Hayden? Like, I love the group around them, but we're going to end up talking ourselves, I think, more into the group. And then at the end of the conversation being like, well, they're stuck with Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater. They're, it's going to be a defensive minded team too. Like their defense yeah. is top five. Like they're so deep at every single level. They, I think they can sneak into the playoffs with Teddy Bridgewater. If they got Teddy Bridgewater seasons from last year with this defense, that's like right on the cusp of a, of a wild card spot. Um, so they're either, either drew lock is going to have a breakout season or it's going to be average Teddy Bridgewater. Um, maybe there's a chance Aaron Rodgers gets traded ultimately, but it sounds like the Packers are pretty adamant that they don't want to trade him. So Circling back, they viewed Patrick Sertan as a top five player or close to it. And then even when they were at pick number nine, four teams were calling up. They didn't expect Patrick Sertan to be there. And so obviously they didn't uh, accept any of those offers. And then they immediately started calling to get back into the early part of the second round because they had about three or four players that were round one grades on their board, Hayden. And one of those had to have been Javante Williams, who they leapfrogged the Miami Dolphins for. Javante Williams, a running back, out of UNC, broke all the metrics in terms of broken tackles and yards after contact. One phrase stood out, Hayden, called him a three-down running back. Not something he showed at UNC. It's a bit of a projection. Do you believe him? Not not this year, uh, unless they cut Melvin Gordon. I think Melvin Gordon is their best pass catcher by far. Javante Williams didn't do it very much at UNC like you alluded to. So I think that he's going to be the early down back. MG- MG3 is going to come in on passing downs and he neither of the neither of them projected very well. Javante Williams was like my RB28 in my first run at projections. Um but this 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 pick also just signals to us that this they're going to play defense, they're going to try to run the ball and if Teddy Bridgewater is their quarterback, you're not going to see this insane passing volume. Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, Noah Fant, all those guys kind of just projected out eh and even though that they're very good, I just don't I don't think that this is going to be a very voluminous offense right now. That idea of, hey, we're going to play good defense and like put up just enough points to beat you, it doesn't line up. Like it doesn't make sense after they invested so many draft capital and, and, and pass catching weapons. I mean, it's Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler, and Albert O were a first, a second, and a fourth round pick last year after you already had you know, it just like doesn't all line up to me. Their defense is like on the rare side, like this is a I very, think- very, very good defense. This isn't just like, oh, we're trying to play defense and we're going to be like ninth in DVOA. Like this could be like a number two in DVOA. Um, so I don't want to write off the Broncos completely. I, I, I was frustrated with their draft class just because they didn't exit with a quarterback. Um, but I, I still think the Broncos are a good team. George Payton also said that Javante Williams is probably the most physical runner over the last few years. I'm guessing by few years, he means since 2018 with like Nick Chubb there and and Saquon Barkley and, and a few of those players in that draft class. And that's also when the Broncos took Royce Freeman. But that really stands out. They love Javante Williams. And we'll get to it with, with the Dolphins here in a little bit. But they've added a lot to that running back room, Hayden. I mean, they added 
Mike Boone this offseason too. And now it feels like Mike Boone is back to that number three role, just like where he was with the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah. None of these guys projected very well. It's, yeah. it's sad, but it's just the truth. They also took Quinn Miners, who apparently was a major winner at the Senior Bowl after he couldn't play football in 2020, uh, athletic linebacker in Baron Browning, uh, and a few safeties in Caden Stearns and Jamar Johnson. Then took some of fantasy football Twitter's favorite in Seth Williams there in round six. And we just mentioned all the names, like including Tim Patrick, he's going to be behind. So maybe he, you know, gets an opportunity at some point if someone goes down or moves on in a contract in the next few years. Moving on to the Houston Texans. Oh my goodness, Hayden Winks. Did you watch any of Nick Casario's press conferences? Because he just knows it's going to be bad news. I mean, you look at all their free agent signings, about 30 of them this offseason, and then with their first pick, the third selection of the third round, they take a quarterback in Davis Mills, and this just shows you that Deshaun Watson is never going to take another snap with the Houston Texans ever again. Yeah, that was the storyline of the draft. We all know that the draft class was awful. Um, they had no picks, and then they wasted picks as well. But yeah, Deshaun Watson's not going to be playing for the Texans. Um, in order to get traded, he has to settle this out of court. Um, can't get charged with anything, and then maybe they trade him after June 1st. But um, I, I only projected Deshaun Watson for like two or three games this year just as a hedge. But I would guess that the most likely outcome is he plays zero games this year, and you're going to get Tyrod Taylor probably starting around 10 games and then maybe Davis Mills. But the, the problem with the Davis Mills pick is, well, one, I didn't think that Davis Mills' tape was very good. He he had a lot of mechanical issues. He wasn't very accurate for an in, in-pocket five-star recruit. I thought he had a ways to go, and he didn't play very many games at Stanford. But the other big thing is, even if he shows a little bit, the Texans are going to be 3-14, and 14, yeah. and then they're going to have Spencer Rattler at first overall, and then they're going to take him, obviously, and then you wasted this third-round pick. They needed, they needed like a a starting corner or something in the third round. Like they did not need to be taking Davis mills. You had to know that you're playing this, the long game. Tyrod Taylor goes out there, they go three and 14. Then you draft your franchise quarterback next year. Like that was the clear play. And they did it. They didn't do that. You know what it is. It's the Panthers drafting Jimmy Claus in the second round being the worst team in the NFL and then getting Cam Newton number one overall. Like that's exactly the timeline that the Texans are on right now, but it just seems like they wanted to add more competition to the to the position and, you know, cross the checklist of, oh, we added another quarterback that's a rookie and maybe he can show something and surprise us. This Texans team is a total disaster. I mean, total disaster. And then while you're awful, you're still trading up future picks to go up and and get Nico Collins. What what are you doing? You, you are not in a position right now to be trading future assets for whatever player you think has a good grade on your board. Makes absolutely zero sense. And it, it, it goes worse than that. Lee Sharp, who's awesome on Twitter, he said that this Nico Collins trade was the second worst trade-up in the third round since 2002. I mean, they traded the 89th pick for the 109th pick, so they moved up just 20 spots for the 158th pick and a fourth-round pick next year. And we know next year's class was already better. And... Nico Collins is a, is a gamble. I think that there's some uh, some upside to Chase just because he's so physically dominant, power five guy that just didn't get maximized under Harbaugh. But you can't you can't be trading up assets. You're you're the Texans right now. You stay put. You trade down. Actually, you don't stay put. You you trade down, add more future picks, and take your lumps this year. It was it was it was probably the worst draft in in, in the entire league. Yeah, I think that this is their view. Is okay. We signed so many 
below average free agents that so many of them are basically our undrafted free agency class. We don't have room now for like these five picks on day three that they had. So instead we're going to package them up and try to like isolate. Cause I think they had three trades, isolate players that they liked, but that's fine. If you want to do it in this year's class, well, not fine. Uh, it's more understandable, but trading now a 2022 draft pick when that's, what's gotten you into this hole of where your organization is. And I know it's a different decision maker wild. I mean, it's, it's, it's just total madness. This team, I think the over under right now is at three and a half for wins. Hayden, like even with the 17 game season, you got to go under. I'm done talking about the Texans. Can we move okay. on? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I just felt like being negative for a moment. Indianapolis Colts are next. Pick 21, Quiddy Pay, defensive end slash outside linebacker for Michigan. I thought that this was a spot where they could go offensive tackle. We've known since that Eric Fisher is going to have a visit with them, which makes total sense for the retired Anthony Costanzo. But Chris Ballard is someone who just lets the board come to him in a lot of ways and fills needs and drafts athletes and tries to get pass rushers here. And from that perspective, I guess Hayden Pay makes sense. Yeah, they're going to be hosting a lot of left tackle uh, veteran visits over the next couple months, and, th- and they'll get something figured out. Sam Tevy is not going to be their starting left tackle this year, or at least I hope not. Um, but yeah, they, they also needed edge rushing help, and they kind of rolled the dice on, on two decent athletes. Um, and Qu- Pay has some upside, and they needed edge rushing talent because they don't blitz at all. Like They're like bottom five in blitz rate, and they didn't have edge rush any edge rushers last year. So um, I understood why they double dipped at edge. Um, but they, they have to address left tackle in one of these veteran free agents. I don't know if it's like Eric Fisher coming off an injury or if it's Charles Leno after getting cut or somebody else yeah. gets cut. Um, they'll figure it out. But yeah, on the surface, it, it, it caught my eye that they didn't draft a left tackle here. Do you want to try the second edge rushing name, Hayden? No, I didn't even watch him. So I don't, I don't even know who he is. Deo Odenigbo. We're going to go with that. Oday, Deo Oday. Did he 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 had an injury right? He was like a high high stealing player that was just coming off an injury, I believe. Yeah, so. I think he might set out all of twenty twenty one. The tight end though in the fourth round, receiving tight end Hayden. We know that in the past, Frank Reich, even when he was working with Carson Wentz under Doug Peterson, that's when Trey Burton got his massive contract because Trey Burton was being used as a as a receiving tight end role next to Zachers. I mean, both were getting targets. So we have Mo Ali Cox on the roster, and like that's it, you know. So one, I guess we like Mo Ali Cox where he's going in drafts right now, but also the another name might emerge. Yeah, Ky- Kylan Granson, he's kind of like the perfect Colts fit. He's just kind of that tweener. He's undersized, only two hundred forty-one pounds, only six foot one. Um, he was a very fluid route runner on tape, and he was pretty productive. He had two years of over five hundred yards. So he's in dynasty leagues outside of the, like the top five or six tight end prospects, uh, Kylan Granson was the biggest winner for the deep dynasty people that are grinding uh, day three picks on tight ends. Kylan Granson is your guy. Let's now go to the Jacksonville Jaguars. We all know they're going to select Trevor Lawrence at number one overall, then trade up. They move up to pick number 25 to get Travis Etienne. Hayden, this was the dangers of, you know, just reading, I think, press conference notes and, and quotes because immediately after the draft, it was said that Urban Meyer told reporters, well, Travis Etienne is going to be our third down back with James Robinson and, and Carlos Hyde as our one and two. When I went back and watched what Urban Meyer said, I got a totally different feeling. And yes, he used those terms, but he also brought up the names Percy Harvin. He also 
brought up the name like Curtis Samuel and, and other types that were these outside to inside playmakers that you can get manufactured touches to carries. You can get receptions to that are just electric with the ball in their hands and couple that with Urban Meyer admitting that he wanted Kadarius Tony at that selection. I'm highly like over under 45 receptions for Travis Etienne this year. I'll take the over, but I'll, I'll take the under on the carries. Like I, I, he he mentioned Carlos Hyde because I think the reporter asked Urban Meyer about James Robinson, and he said like, "Don't forget about Carlos Hyde," and which is like classic Correct. Urban Meyer. I think that James Robinson, Urban, or and Carlos Hyde are going to legit get carries on early downs. It's just how many receptions is Travis Etienne going to get? Um, but I, I'm with you that he's going to be their their weapon. And that's also kind of bad. Is that not bad news for LaVisca Chenault? Like it's that was like news. the weapon and Urban news. Meyer has zero connection to him. Yep. And he was looking to basically replace him. So unless LaVisca Chenault is going to move to the outside, but they already have DJ Chark and they already have Marvin Jones. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of suspect on, on LaVisca Chenault. It, se- it seems like Urban Meyer was like literally trying to find LaVisca Chenault. He didn't even mention him in his presser. Like very strong belief in speed. We've tried to address that with Philip Dorsett and Marvin Jones. The idea is to, on offense is to create mismatch night, nightmares, like running backs to be as good outside as they are inside, Curtis Samuel, Percy Harvin, piece of the puzzle that is hard to defend, and then Chris Manhurts was brought in to help extend the run game. I mean, there was a zero mention of LaVisca Chenault. This is kind of these cycles that we get with new decision makers, new eyes coming in. Maybe they just didn't love it. I mean, they're also on this bender in some ways of – oh, we want highly rated five-star recruits coming out of high school because that's who we have the information on. And uh, that certainly wasn't Visca. Yeah, I'm, yeah I, I don't know what to do with LaVisca. Right now his ADP is way too high for me. It's, it's way too high. And I, Travis Etienne and, and James Robinson, that's, they didn't project very well for me either. Like The Jaguars are going to take a leap just because Trav- or Trevor Lawrence is so good. And I think Marvin Jones helps, and getting DJ Chark with a quarterback they're going to throw downfield is going to help the offense. Um but none of these guys projected too well to me. It's, yeah. it's it. I had higher expectations, and the Travis Etienne pick like really gave me some pause here. If you were going to invest in one Jaguars player on Best Ball Mania two, would it be Trevor Lawrence where he's going, or DJ Chark where he's going, or another name? Yeah, tr- Trevor Lawrence projected about right where his ADP was on my first run of projections, and then I think DJ Chark I think is going to be the alpha receiver uh, of that group. Um, yeah, I'm not sure how much Travis Etienne. I think he's like RB like 26 or 27. Um, James Robinson dropped into like the low 30s. So I don't know. I, I'm scared. I, I think the Carlos Hyde and James Robinson stuff was was legit. I and Travis Etienne's just going to be their like playmaker on third down. So we'll see. They took Tyson Campbell with the first pick of the second round, a cornerback who's long, and it's another weird development of that roster where. You know, they spent an early round pick on C.J. Henderson or the previous regime did. Then they go out and get Shaq Griffin at free agency. And now you have Tyson Campbell and all three are outside corners. I'm just not sure which one's going to play inside in those packages. I mentioned Walker Little, who, you know, Cam Robinson's in the franchise tag. It's not like their right tackle. Juwan Taylor has really lived up to maybe his pre-draft hype. And so Walker Little, while he really truly has not played since one game of 2019, was that former five-star recruit, was that former highly heralded recruit. And so they probably loved, and I heard his his interviews were the best during the draft process. Um, that team's absolutely loved him. 
Yeah, I, I thought this was an okay pick. Out of all, all the picks, I thought Walker Little made some sense. He doesn't have to play this year, and maybe he is – if he checks out to be like a high-ceiling prospect, like how he was playing early on, he would have been a first-round pick this year. And if if you're just trying to pr- uh, protect Trevor Lawrence, I understood the gamble, especially because you already have Cam Robinson. He can sit for a year if, if he's still trying to get healthy. I don't think the Jaguars are going to throw their tight end, Hayden. Chris Manhurts, they highly valued him because of his run blocking. They think he's the best run blocker in the league at his position. And they go and draft Luke Farrell at the first pick of the fifth round. But he kind of you know, projects in that same exact role. Yeah, exactly. Did they cut Tyler Eifert? I forgot if he's still on the roster I think so. or not. No, I think he just had a one-year deal. Uh, and then we get the sixth round, and I want to throw out the name Jalen Camp. He's not going to play early. He might be like even a practice squad candidate. But Matt Waldman brought it up. He's a freak athlete with size in a draft class that lacked freak athletes at that size. And so I love that kind of a six-round shot that hopefully you can develop him. And he's going to see more targets in the preseason than he saw during his entire college career. So definitely one to watch. Kansas City Chiefs, Hayden Winks. We know that they spent their first-round pick on Orlando Brown. I don't know if we talked about that trade enough. Any, Any thoughts on it? I mean, the Super Bowl loss impacted them, but it was also to the point where now they're not overloaded necessarily. But they've done a great job of spending high-priced money on Joe Tooney, using some draft capital, which will lead to high-priced money in Orlando Brown. They have maybe potentially five new starters along that offensive line. So you, hopefully they've turned a weakness into a strength. Yeah, Orlando Brown, That's it's kind of a boom-bust trade because he's going to be playing a position that like he only played a little bit last year at left tackle. But the the two schemes, the Ravens and the Chiefs, play completely different types of offense. And we'll have to see if Orlando Brown could get vertical because Patrick Mahomes bails out of the pocket backwards just about as many times as any other quarterback. And Lamar Jackson and, and the Ravens offense, they're going forward the entire time. So yeah. we'll see if big, big Orlando Brown could actually get vertical in his pass sets. Um, if he can, awesome pick. Um, if he can't, then you, you're you really struggling here. They're all in right now. Like they have so many stars. It's so stars and scrubs. And yeah. I get it for this year, but it, 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 it was a very, very risky trade. Yeah, again, Orlando Brown at left tackle, Joe Tooney at left guard, either Austin Blythe or their second-round pick in Creed Humphrey, who I loved coming out of Oklahoma. I mean, he actually tested like one of the best athletes in the, this entire class, which makes a lot of sense for their system. At right guard, they pulled Kyle Long out of retirement, or they have LDT, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, uh, coming back after his year away, and then at right tackle, it's either Mike Remmers, it's either Lucas Niang, or maybe it's Martinez ranking. So, look, again, it was it was the crippling point. We, we talked with Ben Fennell, and he said, as long as you don't lose quick and you lose slow, you're okay with blocking. Well, we know in the Chiefs, they lost, they lost fast every single time in that Super Bowl loss. So fixing that is a, is a big uh, deal. I will say that – the Chiefs are getting a lot of credit for fixing this offensive line. This offensive line is still bad. Like, I don't want to give this, like, I mean, Tooney and Orlando Brown are good players. The the entire right side of the line is really bad still. We know they took a pass rusher in the fourth round, uh, another tight end, and Noah Gray in the fifth round. Any thoughts on Cornell Brown also in the fifth round, who, I'm not going to say he was a quiet wide receiver among the Amari Rodgers and the previous T. Higgins and all of these guys, but he did make some plays when he went back and watched Trevor Lawrence at Clemson. Yeah, Cornell Powell, I think he's going to compete for a starting job at X receiver for the Chiefs just because he's the physical presence that this entire depth chart does not have. Tyreek Hill, small, McCole Hardman, small, both slot types. 
uh, Demarcus Robinson and like Byron Pringle. Like, I mean, they, they needed a physical receiver. And I think Powell is going to go out there and probably play a decent amount of snaps early. Um, even though he's a fifth round pick, uh, I think he's going to compete for a starting job. Now, a, a starting job in this offense, if if Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire are all healthy, means he's going to get like the two targets that like Demarcus Robinson was getting previously. Um, but I thought he was an interesting player. Like he's obviously a late breakout, and we don't like that. Not very productive, average athleticism. But he went to Clemson, and he was a high pedigree player. So maybe he comes in there and could handle that role. It's a very specific role that the Chiefs needed, just because their entire wide receiver depth chart was so small. And Cornell Powell uh, plays more physical than anybody else on the roster right now. They chased Juju Smith-Schuster in free agency. They're looking for another wide receiver. Maybe he's the one that can emerge. Or it's Byron Pringle. I mean, it's not going to be Miko Hardman unless like some amazing transformation happens there. And I just can't take any more to Marcus Robinson. So someone hopefully in preseason action in training camp can, uh, can turn that around quickly. CEH. And we're going to have a lot of time to talk about these rankings and projections and all that stuff. But CEH is going after Antonio Gibson, Najee Harris, just above DeAndre Swift and J.K. Dobbins on underdog ADP. Fair? That's the range I haven't projected for. Um, He has more upside than that. Um, But yeah, they could, they can, the Chiefs also could be a team that like signs Adrian Peterson or something last second too. So um, Clyde Edwards Hilaire is like kind of like on the high end RB2 mix. That's, I think that's probably about right. Let's go to number 13 overall, the Los Angeles Chargers. Took Rashawn Slater there after attempting to trade up to get Panay Sewell at number seven overall. Just did not want to pay the price that the Lions had on the table. But Rashawn Slater immediately, like Tom Telesco, the first question he was asked was, what position is going to play? He said left tackle, period. And what the Chargers have done, I think along their offensive line, Hayden, is flying under the radar a little bit. You have Rashawn Slater, along with you know the likes of Ode Abushi and Corey Lindsley and Matt Filer and Brian Bulaga. Like, those names certainly aren't screaming out to people as some of the best talents, but in comparison to what other Chargers offenses, Phillip Rivers, other quarterbacks in the past have had, what Herbert dealt with last year, this could be a significant advantage and progression. Yeah, I, th- I think that center is a position that's underrated, and Corey Lindsley is an absolute baller, and he's going to really help Justin Herbert. I think the chemistry between Herbert, Lindsley, and their offensive uh, coordinator and their head coach. I mean, this is a very high-level, thoughtful franchise all of a sudden. And Justin Herbert, MVP odds, I'm, I'm in. And I'm I'm in on Chargers overs. I think that this is one of the better rosters in the entire league. Like, top-down defense player, they need to stay healthy, which is always the total wild card for the Chargers. But I think that people are sleeping on how big of a coaching upgrade this is going to be with this new coaching staff and Justin Herbert was an absolute baller. They've figured out their two tackles, two tackle spots. And Justin Herbert can stay in the pocket and take a hit if there's inside pressure. Cause he's so tall. He's so physical. He just needed a little help on the perimeter and Slater and Bulaga. That's, that's pretty, pretty sturdy right there. So I think Justin Herbert, Austin Eckler, Keenan, they're going to be absolute ballers in fantasy and in real life. More help on the perimeter, Josh Palmer in round three. If you just like wrote down his positives on a sheet of paper, very similar to Mike Williams. Makes you wonder with Mike Williams entering a contract year, if Josh Palmer th- shows enough, then they'll just move on. Because you have someone who I saw slower, more lethargic shades of Michael Gallup, which might not be saying something, but that's kind of what he does. He he, he can get caught up at the line of scrimmage, but once you know he starts on his route, and especially 
in those contested situations when the ball is in the air, it's his. It tries to be his. And we know that Justin Herbert, especially among other young quarterbacks across the league, is absolutely willing to allow and let his receiver go and make plays. Josh Palmer could get some early playing time depending on how this shakes out. Yeah, if you draft Justin Herbert early in Best Ball Mania 2, your last pick, your second last pick should be Josh Palmer. I think he's going to start more games than not this year. He's going to be competing with Jalen Guyton and some other undrafted free agent types. And those guys are like a little bit different player. Like Josh Palmer is is the physical outside jump ball guy. And then the other guys are like the 4-3 speedsters. So um, they're going to be rotating snaps on the outside. And I think that Josh Palmer is maybe a little bit underrated as a prospect in general. I thought his film was, was pretty decent. They also took Asante Samuel in round two, who maybe height wise might be a smaller corner, but he's absolutely feisty tries to go after it in terms of his, his opposite wide receiver. And this is a team that had like really good cornerbacks for a while, at least some names and Casey Hayward and Jason Verrett and so many others. And now it's basically like Chris Harris and Asante Samuel on the outside. Like that position has had some major turnover over, over the last few years. We also need to talk about Trey McKitty in round three. I went back and listened to your friend, Tom Telesco Hayden. And this is what he said about Trey McKitty. And everyone wants to, you know, figure out who the starting tight end is after Hunter Henry left. They basically just view Trey McKitty as a blocker. Yep. He is exactly the opposite as uh, Jared Cook and, and our, and our boy Don, Donald Parham. I mean, he's he's solely a blocker, and this was a very specific pick because it was probably a little bit earlier than most people had McKitty pegged out, but they drafted for a specific role here. And Jared Cook, Parham, and McKitty are going to be rotating snaps at tight end. McKitty's probably going to see like eight targets on the entire year. He's not really somebody that's even like on the dynasty. I mean, he's a little bit on the dynasty radar just because he got drafted in the third round and he's attached to Justin Herbert, but they draft him to be a, a run blocker. And Telesco made that very clear. Quote, a big part of our offense is going to be a tight end who can get on the line and block. He can do that, and it's tough to find that at the college level. Uh, also, Tom Telesco opened by saying that his pro scouting staff puts together a report on each team's needs, tendencies, and scheme so they can predict what's going on. And once Rashawn Slater got past number eight, they felt good about him getting to them at uh, number 13. Hey, give your boy a ring. I know you don't pay well. At least I've heard that. But, uh, you know. They read our tweets. All right. Let's move on to the Las Vegas Raiders. Speaking of understanding how the draft falls to you, Hayden Winks, this press conference dynamic of what the Raiders have going on, dicey. Okay? Because I think we all know who's calling the shots over with the Las Vegas Raiders. And it's John Gruden. But who was the one person that they put out there for all three of their draft press conferences? Mike Mayock, just like meat shield, soaking in all the bullets. So John gets to sit back there and make all his calls for all of his coaches and exactly what they want. He also had like comments that they knew that this was going to be a ridiculed pick. I mean, oh my if, gosh. If, if that's the case, trade down, trade down. It's that it's not that hard. Trade down. I don't care what the, the you just take the best offer, even if it doesn't make total sense on like in historical, it's still like a bad offer. You trade down. If Alex Leatherwood is your guy. And I thought Alex Leatherwood, just nothing against him being the 17th pick. I thought he he was a decent athlete. He's really long. He's uh, very experienced from Alabama. I think that he can play. But if the rest of the league thinks that he's going to be drafted in the 30s or 40s, then you just move down 10, 15 spots, and then you draft him. And then no one's making any fuss about this. It's not that hard. Mike Mayock, we knew it would be controversial, period. We did a lot of homework on it, period. Think our offensive line can be one of the best in the league, 
We want to be a power football team that runs the ball with Josh Jacobs. Why'd you sign Kenyon Drake? He's going to start. Why do you get rid of Trent Brown? Like they traded their best, their best offensive lineman uh, outside (laughs) of Colton Miller. I mean, Trent Brown is your guy. Like you want a ass kicking uh, right tackle that can run block. I mean, Alex Leatherwood is like 80% Trent Brown. Yeah. Gabe Jackson. We don't want you anymore. Rodney Hudson. We don't want you anymore. Uh, He's going to start at right tackle for us day one and see if he can hold on to that job. Look, they are telling us what they want to do, I guess, and run the football with Josh Jacobs. But like, yo, it's 2021. And also saying that Alex Leatherwood is Tom Cable's favorite player of the draft. We know who's making this pick, dude. We we know who's driving your decisions. Mike Mayock isn't making it 10 years. He's not making it as long as John Gruden is. In fact, a year from now, Mike Mayock not, might not be the general manager. Because, like, I I truly wonder how much say he can spin it as, look, our second four coaching staff liked him and our third four scouts liked him. But the history of this so far, Hayden, has been Cleveland Furl in the top five, a complete misunderstanding of value. Last season, you have like the likes of Jonathan Abram and, and Josh Jacobs from previous years as well. And then Jonathan Abram gets hurt, Hayden, and you draft three safeties in this draft because your safety coach, your defensive back coach is like, I need bodies. So then you get Trevon Morig, you get Divine Diablo, and you get Tyree Gillespie. How many teams draft three safeties now? Yeah, that wasn't that wasn't very, very smart. I, one of them is going to play like weak side, weak side linebacker, to be fair. But still, that's like you drafted two and you already have Abrams. Like these are these are like low value positions too. Running backs, um, guards, line uh, linebackers. Like even a weak, weak side linebacker is a pretty low value position too. So it's it's a total mess out there. My I'll go out a bold prediction. I, I'm not sure if Mayock makes it past this summer. Like yeah. I think it's that bad. Yeah. And like he was the one who had to get up there when the Antonio Brown situation went down and be like, yeah, ask me all the awful questions and I just have to bite my tongue. And act like this is my move. It's not. I mean. Hey, Josh, we have to say this. You know who's a winner this draft, though? Henry Ruggs. They didn't They didn't bring any, anybody. They, they replaced John Brown and Nelson Aguilar. And that's it. It's, I mean, this is this is our chance to buy low. Buy the dip on Henry Ruggs. This is this is the t- chance to get him. He, he, he projected pretty well in my projections. Obviously, my projections on Henry Ruggs are super biased. So, so watch out for that. But uh, truthfully, the, the defense is still going to be bad. And they didn't add any other offensive weapons. It's like, I mean, unless it's Drew County, Kenyon Drake. Henry Ruggs is going around Rondell Moore, Denzel Mims, Nelson Aguilar, Terrace Marshall, Prashad Perryman. That hot, hot Henry Ruggs summer starting up early in May. Look, who knows? This is why you draft now, Hayden. It's why you draft your best ball Mania 2 roster now, your other best ball drafts, and not wait until August because Henry Ruggs might jump around or two or three come that time. They're all going behind Michael Harden, which get me out of here. All right. Miami Dolphins. Jalen Waddle, number six. We had this one nailed. From a player perspective, from a fit perspective, it makes an absolute ton of sense. Just from a roster construction, we knew from the outside it's Will Fuller and Devontae Parker. On the interior, while Michael, Mike Kosicki, last season with a different OC, man the middle, mainly as a slot wide receiver, contract year, and just not the type that you, that you want. A completely different mover than Jalen Waddle. And again, Waddle eating up those yards after catch opportunities, then burning you over your face over the middle of the field. 
this is an awesome trio, at least for one year with Will Fuller under contract for two and a half. Yeah, intermediate crossers, Galen Waddle running across the middle of the field. All these poor slot corners are going to be trying to catch up to him, and then two is just going to put on the money, and the Jalen Waddle is going to be running like crazy. So the volume, the projections, once again, this is not a team that's very, very healthy when it comes to projections just because the defense is good. Um, I think that they want to play kind of balanced football, um, and Tua Tagovailoa has to take another big step this year um, because last year's numbers were really bad. So there's a lot of lot of mouths to feed in an offense that's not going to be as voluminous as some others. So um, I didn't think Will Fuller projected very well because Jalen Waddles in the next and then with Devontae Parker. Um, I would say the other big storyline here is I mean outside of Jalen Phillips, who's an awesome, awesome prospect if he can stay on the field, is the running back situation. Um, a lot of people are taking victory laps on Miles Gaskin. What, what What's your thoughts with this? That if Javante Williams lasted one more pick on the board, he would have been the selection at number 36 overall. I mean, he would have been the selection, period. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so, too. I, I'm worried. I'm going to be going right into the the tape and seeing this Miles Gaskin, see what how they use him and everything. That's not something I'm going to do this month because he, he's somebody that, if he got last year's volume, signed me all the way up. But I don't know. I, I feel like everyone thinks that miles Gaskin is like their guy and like the front office loves him. I feel like they were just missing out on guys yeah. and they did not want miles Gaskin to be the guy. And then maybe they make a trade this off season or sign somebody or just like Ahmed beats him out. Like, I don't know. I think, I think he's best kept in the RB twenties. Nothing, know, nothing higher than that. What we're going to need to do is get on Peter overs get on Davis Maddock and get that Patrick Laird insider knowledge to figure out who who the number one back is going to be for the entire season. Uh, Javante Williams was going to be their selection. It's the same yeah. thing that happened last year with J.K. Dobbins and the Baltimore Ravens. Um, now, once they got to the press conference, Chris Greer pivoted and said, oh, we really like what Mountain, Malcolm Brown can do. Uh, okay. I understand Miles Gaskin produced last season. They're still evaluating that position. It wouldn't be shocking at all. Like Maybe they make a move for like Raheem Mostert or something. That'd be fun. Um, they traded for Matt Breida. Why not? Also, when reporters asked about Javante Williams, go back and watch this presser. Brian Flores just starts this wry <laughs> smile across his face. I mean, it was the biggest giveaway. You know, Chris Greer kept the stone face, but Brian those Flores two, just let a big smile out. Josh, those two, those press conferences, they don't say too much. Flores they said Greer, nothing. They, they are quiet. They are quiet, serious guys over there. Yeah, th- there's a few. Joe Douglas is like that. If you go back and watch the Jets, I know we're going to get to them in a second. Uh, I hate it. Like you go from a Kyle Shanahan press conference where he says everything to a Chris Greer, Brian Flores, or Joe Douglas presser where they say absolutely nothing. Oh, it's the pits. Oh, it's so bad. It's it's gross. Uh, you mentioned Jalen Phillips. He was the pick at number 18. I know that Mike Zimmer loved him at pick number 14. And that was a possible selection for them. If everything goes right, the concussions are fine. Everything else is fine. Jalen Phillips with that pass rush, with that cornerback group that they have, with that defensive backfield and adding Javon Holland as well, Jalen Phillips is going to be their primary pass rusher for sure. Yep, and they needed it because they they would run these like amoeba fronts and just like try to scare quarterbacks. And it worked against like Jared Goff um, and some other quarterbacks. But they didn't have a guy that can just win on the perimeter and just go and just go make a play. Jalen Phillips is your guy. So... Um, the Dolphins' top five, top ten defense this year. The ceiling is really high um, defensively over there. How dare you criticize Jared Goff? What are you doing here? You're rubbing off on me. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Liam Eikenberg was 
a player I was surprised he even lasted until like the 10th pick of round two. I thought he might be one of the first couple off the board. He's going to be like their swing offensive lineman no matter what, like left tackle, right tackle, maybe even starts at right tackle and move Robert Hunt into yeah. right guard. I'm I'm a sheep. I'm in on this Dolphins team. Okay. Okay. Uh, they're, they need Tua to be the Alabama Tua. And yeah, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back and watch Tua this summer too. Only watch the second halves, and you'll be there with me. Okay. He's so much better in the second half versus the first half. But uh, I mean, he was throwing to guys that were like five nine, hundred eighty pounds, like yeah. Jakeem Grant, Lynn Bowden. Like they had absolutely nobody outside of Devontae Parker last year. Well, that was also the entire twenty twenty one receiving group too. So I'm not sure how much you can put down five nine, one eighty pound wide receivers. All right, New England Patriots, Mac Jones at number fifteen, Hayden. I mean, over a year, I've been talking about. Well, what is Bill Belichick going to do when he identifies the quarterback of the future? His guy. Is he going to package a bunch of picks? Is he going to move up for him? Like, oh, I can't wait for that moment because every other fan base has seen it multiple times, witnessed it multiple times over the last two decades. We haven't seen it from Bill. And all he does is sit back at number 15 and just take the guy that falls to him. Like, so underwhelming. With that said, though, Hayden, I freaking love Mac Jones of the New England Patriots. Yep, obviously Bill Belichick talked on the phone with Nick Saban for a long time because his yes. first two picks were Alabama guys and he's been doing this for two decades. Uh, Bill Belichick in the presser was talking of Nick Saban um, too. And yeah, Mac Jones, just he makes a lot of sense for, for New England. Um, Bill Belichick, kind of like how everyone kept talking about Shanahan, he just wants to kind of control the offense, really game plan everybody and deliver an accurate ball. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm very curious to see how they go this year because I don't know how you game plan this this summer, how do you how do you create a playbook for Mac Jones and Cam Newton? Like, I mean, couldn't talk about two different type of type of quarterbacks. So it was very clear. Belichick said that Cam Newton is our quarterback. He didn't yeah. say starting quarterback, but he did say our quarterback. And he said that Mac Jones has to be better than Cam Newton to play. So um, right now in my projections, I have them starting about eight games each. Um, but I can be swayed either direction. You know me. You know I'm the biggest Cam fan. Cam apologist of all time in terms of his quarterback play. Mac Jones is going to be better than Cam Newton. And we get three preseason games to figure it out. They're going to give him a boatload of work. Um, Just from what that offensive line, like what they've done so well is build a situation to succeed for quarterbacks. Because you have offensive line, you have two pass-catching tight ends, you have some wide receivers that can get vertical or create some space in a Kendrick Bourne. While they're not like, you know, flashy, players you also have Josh Pantanos as a play caller and it's gonna be that quick hitting pass catching group that hopefully can create some separation and then put the ball on them that screams Mac Jones to me man like to me it's gonna be a great fit once he starts and I think he's gonna start sooner rather than later all right interesting maybe I'll have to bump up his projection a couple games the rest of their draft, you mentioned Christian Barmore in the second round, a uh, defensive tackle that's super young entering the NFL. Uh, Ronnie Perkins at defensive end. Let's get to Ramondre Stevenson, who was the middle pick in the fourth round. We know that this Patriots team for COVID issues, for opt-outs, for injuries, for all that stuff, just had no one specifically at running back last year. Because of his size, anytime the Patriots get a big running back, I think people immediately jump to LeGarrette Blunt. Just from experience and watching this for a while, big backs who move like LeGarrette Blunt are very difficult to find. Like it's rare. I'm not saying that LeGarrette Blunt is rare, just like that type of a 
a body, to his style, to it working so successfully in the NFL, it's difficult to come by. And so while, sure, they really like Stevenson, I also feel like running back value was those first three and then somewhere on day three. And I'm not going to put too much hope in Stevenson claiming this this job from Damian Harris. Yeah, I, I think Damian Harris is a better player and experienced already. I think that this this pick might uh, signal that Sonny Michelle could be cut. I'll have to see what the cap implications are for that because they already have Brandon Bolden who plays special teams, who's like a, uh, a running back spot for him. So maybe Stevenson plays special teams and Sonny Michelle doesn't, and that's the the edge, and then Michelle gets cut. Um, but yeah, Stevenson's not projecting well. I, I think it's going to be Damian Harris one. James White, as always, on passing downs, and then Stevenson as the distant RB3. Maybe you get some goal line touches, but um, I thought Damian Harris was just kind of like the better version of Ramondre Stevenson in general. So um, I get why they did the pick. He's just a big physical guy that has softer hands than most big physical guys, but he's he's still really slow. So Yeah. Again, this offensive line is going to keep this team relevant offensively if they stay healthy. Isaiah Wynn, left tackle. Trent Brown, right tackle. Left guard, Michael Winyu, center David Andrews, right guard, Shaq Mason. That's a potential, and I can't wait to read what Brandon Thorne writes, potential top five, top seven unit yeah. yes. in the NFL. Like, that can be outstanding. Can I, I'm, I might be feeling myself a little bit, Hayden. Can I make one more prediction? Go for it. I think Jimmy Garoppolo still ends up on this roster. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Th- that would require Trey Lance really showing out this this summer. Um, oh, I'm Trey not, Lance I'm not, is starting, dude. Okay. We need, to, we need to do a projections podcast soon. I know. That's all you're thinking about during this episode. I can read your face. That's all you're thinking about. Okay. We'll leave, we'll leave that one there. We'll let it marinate as we move along. Uh, next up is the New York Jets with Joe Douglas, who refuses to say anything meaningful in his press conferences. I didn't get – I mean, it was so in the history books already that Zach Wilson was going to be the number two overall selection that I didn't even pick up anything – Hayden, of note of what they said. More so, I picked up that Elijah Vera Tucker, they absolutely loved AVT, and they absolutely loved the idea of pairing him with Makai Becton on the left side and for just to have a dominant left side of their offensive line. Yeah, and you, you kind of need this with Zach Wilson, who is not used to being under pressure at all. And the, the jump, the NFL jump's going to be huge for Zach Wilson so addressing the offensive line, I thought was well worth it. I know they gave up some some draft capital to do it, but I think that Elijah Vera Tucker is a very safe prospect. He has a very high ceiling as well, and he's going to be a absolute stud next to Makai Becton and a perfect a perfect fit outside zone. Elijah Vera Tucker is a mover. He can actually play left tackle if Makai Becton got hurt or something like that as well. So um, I thought this was great insurance for Zach Wilson. I know they had to pay a little a, a pretty penny to move up to to get him, but I'm okay with it. He was a top five, or excuse me, top 10 player on their board. When you can do that and move up, and they did have to pay a price to do it, it, it makes total sense. And there's a lot of intriguing angles to this Jets draft, Hayden. Like second round pick, Elijah Moore. D- Daniel Jeremiah, who's super close friends with Joe Douglas, said that Elijah Moore was a, a red star player, meaning you get to go around and like put red stars on certain prospects. And they, that means that helps them stick out. He did this in the Baltimore Ravens draft room with Joe Douglas. To me, that means that Elijah Moore was like that on their board. Douglas didn't think that there was a chance that Elijah Moore would be there at the top of the second round. They did answer calls, but they viewed him as a round one talent. It adds, in their eyes, competition. 
to Jamison Crowder, but we know that Jamison Crowder can be cut at any point. We know Jamison Crowder can be traded at any point, but Douglas did mention that Elijah Moore can play anywhere, which makes him think and makes me think he enters as the wide receiver four. But very quickly, if Jamison is gone, rocket ships attached to the feet of Elijah Moore and let's roll. Yeah, I think that Jamison Crowder can get traded for. I mean, some team, I think in August, could trade a, a seventh-round pick for Jamison Crowder. I mean, he's he has a $10 million cap hit, um, which isn't that bad, honestly. I think Jamison Crowder is a decent player, so maybe a, a, a team that needs a slot receiver, they make they make a trade. Elijah Moore, I, I think, is he's really good. Like, he's really, really good, and he's perfect for what the Jets need. They don't have somebody that could win on the screens, and Elijah Moore, he's that guy. And yeah, if Jameson Crowder gets cut, Elijah Moore, he's he's gonna be he's gonna be a total baller. He I think he's gonna end up being a better real life player than fantasy player early on, just because Corey Davis is there and we have to see Zach Wilson adjust to the NFL. But um Elijah Moore is such a good player, and I think that the fit long term is gonna be all right for him. I've said this a thousand times, but Mike LaFleur coming from working with Kyle Shanahan needed a player who can win after the catch. The best in that area right now on the Jets was Jamison Crowder because Corey Davis and Denzel Mims are great at what Zach Wilson did at BYU, which was contested catches down the field, but neither are going to take that, you know, three yard drag route and take it for 17 yards. Elijah Moore is instantly the best at that in this, in this team. And I cannot wait to see him do it. Can't wait. I also can't wait to watch Michael Carter. who's the f- second pick of the fourth round. Uh, Look, we talked about the value being in the top three running backs and then there on day three. You had Tevin Coleman on the roster, uh, P. Ryan on the roster, and like that's it. And now you throw in Michael Carter, who from a running style fit and also catching passes, uh, Hayden, I'm going to try to ever exit every single best ball draft this summer with Michael Carter on my roster before he gets too rich. Yeah, the the front office said that it was a major surprise that Michael Carter was still there. And like you said, he's the perfect fit. He's not going to see more than 10 carries per game. I don't think that he has the body for that. But I think that he's a very high-level runner between the tackles. He's just going to have to do on a limited role. And then I think he's going to be the third down back immediately. I have him projected. I know I keep talking about my, my damn projections. But I have him projected for the most touches in the Jets' backfield by a decent margin immediately uh the, there's very little competition he's gonna lose some some uh snaps on early downs but michael carter is another perfect scheme fit so elijah vera tucker elijah vera tucker elijah moore and michael carter also all uh perfect scheme fits i thought that the jets knocked this draft right out of the park hey and i think we should do a projections podcast what do you think yes they're another team that took like safety slash defensive backs and not many corners i mean they are entering the season with bless you on Austin, Bryce Hall, Justin Hardy, who's a special teamer, and then a bunch of safeties of Ashton Davis, Marcus May, LaMarcus Joyner, Michael Carter was at corner, you know, Brandon Eccles. They're probably another team that's in the Richard Sherman sweepstakes, especially with uh, the familiarity with uh, Robert Sala. They probably called each other about 10 times since the draft. Yeah, I guess so. Jets could be fun, man. We talked about cheap stacks during uh, during Underdog Palooza. Zach Wilson with one of those wide receivers with with Michael Carter. Uh, not gonna say I'm in, but it could it could hit value. Let's put it that way, Hayden. It's not gonna win you 
most likely that $1 million, but it, uh, it's going to help. I think. All right. Pittsburgh Steelers. I actually didn't even watch this press conference yet, to be honest with you, Hayden, just I'm putting it off because we all predicted it was going to happen. And then Najee Harris went number 24 overall instant read on the situation is what I watched. They called him. He's as complete of a prospect as you can get three down immediate components. I mean, yeah, he's going to have the, the workload. He, He had the bell cow profile coming into the draft. The Steelers love using a bell cow back. He's going to be playing the Le'Veon Bell role. Um, some people, I've, I've seen that comparison uh, sprinkled out there. And Najee Harris and, and Le'Veon Bell are kind of similar players, which is bold, bold. But Najee Harris is going to, he's going to exit with 250 carries this year, 50 plus receptions. And I think that the Steelers, since they didn't address uh, offensive line the first two rounds, they're going to use Najee Harris as the crutch to Big Ben. Big Ben's not going to be throwing the ball 600 times this year. Like Najee Harris was immediate signal that they want to be way more balanced. And that's a concern for Deontay Johnson, who won on volume for Juju Smith-Schuster, who won on volume, especially with Chase Claypool there. Um, The Najee Harris pick and then Pat, Pat Fryermuth in the second round that hurts Eric Ebron to a little extent too. So this muddied up the entire Steelers fantasy uh, implications this year, but Najee Harris, we know he's going to be like a borderline RB one type of player just based off of volume. I have no clue how to interpret the Steelers team heading into 2021 because you mentioned muddied up areas of the roster. That's how that entire wide receiver group was all during last season. I mean, Deontay Johnson had weeks, Chase Claypool had weeks, Juju had weeks, and now they might throw less. And now we might get passes to Najee. Now we might get passes to Pratt Fryermuth with a quarterback with a broken arm behind an offensive line that has Chooks Okorafor, Kevin Dotson, JC Hassenauer, Dev- David DeCastro, Zach Banner, plus you add, you know, rookies and Dan Moore and, and Kendrick Green. I mean, this is dangerous. This is dangerous territory in a bad way, Hayden. It is. Uh, the only thing I can say about Zach Banner is I played against him in intramurals at USC basketball and the guy could guy can move in the paint. So maybe he has a, a little breakout status for the Steelers here. Fryermuth was fascinating. I mean, do they think he's Heath Miller? Yeah, maybe they, yeah, I think they called him a move tight end. He's going to be a, I mean, he's, I think he's easily the tight end too, uh long-term for dynasty. Um, I think that's pretty obvious. I'm just amazed that you knew who Heath Miller was. That's uh, one of the revelations of this show. Next up, Tennessee Titans. After, a meltdown of an offseason heading into the 2020 season, Hayden, where they go inside Jadavion Clowney. They draft Isaiah Wilson. He never plays a down for them, basically, in the offensive side of the ball. You'd think that they might be a little safe. But instead, the Titans go with Caleb Farley, who's had back surgery, who I think opted out of the entire 2020 season. It's an interesting development where... This roster they thought was close to going back and repeating as contenders for the AFC title. Um, now, still, it's bring the band back together, but you can't retain everyone. What do you think of this Caleb Farley selection at number 22 overall? They needed to swing for the fence, so I understand it because I think their window is closed, um, especially with Arthur Smith leaving. Um, I think I think the rosters is it's not in good shape right now, especially like everything runs through Derrick Henry and Derrick Henry's had like three seasons in a row with like what 400 touches. So, and he's like 27, which is like really old for running backs, which is crazy. But 
Yeah, I think that their window to win is closed. I thought that they needed to take a swing on Caleb Farley, and maybe that maybe it pans out. But um, yeah, I, I think I think Titans is a good team to sell. So basically, we believe their window was one and a half seasons. Like yes. once Ryan Tannehill took over, and then all of last year, and then now they have to try to take shots to even reopen it. Uh, that's how quickly things move in the NFL. I while Farley was maybe a risky pick because we have no clue. And I certainly don't as I'm not going to say I'm a doctor, um, but they, it was needed at, at corner, obviously after the Adore Jackson experiment failed, but then the rest, like I think five of their next six selections or something of the sort all went to the senior bowl. So like they went with a risk who they viewed as like a top 10, top 12 talent in this class, someone who can match up against alpha wide receivers opposite them. Then they went with all the information that they could possibly have, which makes sense from their regard of how disastrous, again, that offseason was last year. Yeah, uh, I understand why they didn't want to take any more risk out of out of, out of Farley. Um, two big takeaways here. I mean, it's actually just one. The wide receiver depth chart. I mean, it's A.J. Brown is getting a million targets this year. And Josh Reynolds, Josh Reynolds is wide receiver, too. But the, the crazy part about the Josh Reynolds being wide receiver, too. He's on a one-year, $1.8 million contract. $1.8 million. That's nothing uh, in, in the wide receiver market. And they, they drafted Des Fitzpatrick, who uh, was not somebody that was a good model prospect. He's old. I think he's like 23 years old. Um, 31st percentile adjusted spark athleticism. And he only caught 3.9 passes per game in college. So the, the wide receiver room is really bad, really bad. And they lost Johnny Smith. And if anything happened to Derrick Henry, it's – it's tough. Hopefully at right tackle, it's either Kendall Lamb, who they brought in, or Dylan Radins as the second round selection. Uh, yeah, I mean, I went back and looked at Arthur Smith now that he drafted Cal Pitts and just to see how many targets he helped, you know, force in the direction of Anthony Ferkser and Johnny Smith. And I think it was over like 120 last season. So the Ferk daddy is an interesting late round tight end selection. We know that those were disasters last all season, but maybe he's one who hits because you just mentioned Josh Reynolds. I'm a big Josh Reynolds fan, have been since his days at, at Texas A&M. But uh, if we get 150 targets to A.J. Brown, if not more, uh, and then 100 targets to Anthony Ferkser, we're cooking. We're cooking. Ferkser uh, is the tight end two target right now. For I sure. love it. Uh, yeah, and at corner, again, you insert Caleb Farley to bring in Janoris Jenkins, and you have Kevin Johnson and maybe Breon Borders at nickel. Uh, there's some work to do in Tennessee. For Again, it was very much like this is the way we play football, and we're going to beat you in that style, and now they have to adjust because you can't keep all these other people that in your window it succeeded. And uh, to me, that's always an, an interesting approach to track and see if they can keep those windows rolling. All right, we'll close. No, that's it. Yeah, that's it. Done. Under an hour and 30, Hayden. Look at us. I don't think we really missed anything of note. Talking about these rookie quarterbacks again, to me, that's where the value you can have in best ball mania too. And I am so in on Trey Lance, who was going as like the quarterback 30. I think he's still going as the quarterback 21. I know this is an AFC pod, but Hayden, absolutely no way does he play less than 12, 12 games this year. We'll save it for the projections podcast. Okay. <laughs> um, hopefully everyone enjoyed this AFC wrap up. Again, you can find the NFC version on YouTube. That is youtube.com slash C slash underdog fantasy, or check it out in whatever podcast feed 
you have out there. Again, Hayden's going to start posting his projections. We're going to do a podcast next week on projections as well. And my press conference series, oh, it's back in a big way, ladies and gentlemen. I watch all these post-draft press conferences, so you don't have to. It's just a joy. Uh, Listen to Mayock try to outline why he did what, even though he didn't do anything. Anyways, it's fun. That's going to be an underblog. Go and check it out. Underdog. Underblog.underdogfantasy.com. Correct, Hayden? Correct. Correct. That's it. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you again to Justin Pollard for the song that launched the show today. Up the Villa. Talk to you all soon. See ya.